Georgia's stars in the federal indictment of Donald Trump. My office will seek a speedy trial so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. We have a jam-packed episode for you today. Georgia is at the center of the four-count indictment against former President Donald Trump. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is ready to go and putting the finishing touches on her years-long investigation of the former president. And we're talking about what's shaping up to be a mega political stretch in Georgia with looming indictments and a host of presidential contenders coming to the state. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. We're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Patricia Murphy, Greg Bluestein, your hosts, joined today by Tamar Hallerman, AJC's senior reporter, also one of the co-hosts of Breakdown, the only podcast that has been covering the ins and outs of Fulton County's legal case against Donald Trump. A new season of her podcast with co-host Bill Rankin starts next week. Tamar, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. It's great to be here. I'm sure your listeners are sick of me after, I think it's the third time this month, but I always love doing this show. (laughs) Well, welcome back. Okay, let's get right to it. Let's break this down. Tomorrow, Georgia gets more attention than any other state in the federal indictment. 48 mentions in this charging document. What does that mean? Georgia makes up about one-tenth of the document. Uh, Five entire pages are devoted solely um, to Georgia and many of the events that we've covered so well over the last three years. Um, But it means that this was a, a big part of you know, Jack Smith's thinking as he was building a criminal case against former President Donald Trump. Um, Pretty much a full page is devoted to Trump's uh, infamous phone call with Brad Raffensperger, which we've talked about a lot on this show and on my show. Um, It talks about the appointment of a slate of alternate Republican electors. It talks about Rudy Giuliani and a lot of the conspiracy theories that he spread in front of the the Georgia legislature. It talks about efforts uh, with Jeffrey Clark at the Justice Department, who is an unnamed co-conspirator in this document. But it talks about um, him wanting to send a, a document to Georgia officials on Justice Department letterhead falsely alleging that they had found evidence of uh, widespread election fraud in Georgia. So lots of events that we know well and have covered deeply, but never have we seen it in a document quite like this. This is huge. um, And there, there truly isn't a historic precedent for something like this. Tamar, you have been so ingrained in all of the details of what we know about what happened in Georgia. In fact, you have broken a lot of the details. You and Greg have broken a lot of the details. Is there anything in the indictment today that surprised you or that you didn't already know? No, not necessarily. We knew that 
Jack Smith, the special counsel, was interested in a lot of these things based on who he was bringing in um, as interviews, the the sorts of things he was interested in, like the electors. Um, We knew he'd talked to Brad Raffensperger, Brian Kemp, and some others. But just the fact of how prominently Georgia plays into all of this sort of surprises me. Obviously, Georgia was one of a half dozen swing states that that the Trump campaign was targeting in 2020. But it this indictment really goes to show the central nature of Georgia in these alleged conspiracies that Jack Smith lays out. Tomorrow, it wasn't surprising. It wasn't new, but it was certainly interesting. Uh, the mention of Donald Trump's call to Chris Carr. You know, we've talked so much about the fake elector plot, about Rudy Giuliani's testimony uh, at the three state hearings here in Georgia. Of course, the Raffensperger call, Trump's efforts to demand and, and convince, persuade Governor Brian Kemp to call a special session to overturn his, his election defeat. But what's gotten a lot less attention, and we, we've covered it, but it's gotten less attention, is that call from Donald Trump to Chris Carr, December 8th, 2020, where he urged the Attorney General uh, to back a, a lawsuit that Texas was filing uh, to invalidate Georgia's election results. That intrigued me getting a mention. It wasn't, wasn't much, but it got a mention in this uh, very, very thick, dense federal indictment. Look, there were many calls that the former president made to officials in Georgia. Um, Brian Kemp, Francis Watson, who was working in the Secretary of State's office at the time, uh, a couple calls to uh, Brian Kemp. There was a call to the late House Speaker David Ralston. But it is interesting, Greg, that that they single out this phone conversation with Chris Carr, which I remember you wrote about shortly thereafter in December 2020. And I remember learning a lot more about it in your book, Flipped. But it is interesting that it's, it's singled out like this. And something that I think a lot of us have frankly forgotten about this this little brief chapter in all of this after the 2020 election when Texas filed this really sprawling lawsuit at the Supreme Court where they were seeking to invalidate the entire, all of the votes in Georgia and I think a couple different swing states. It really was an extraordinary lawsuit. And just as extraordinary was the fact that there were Georgia officials, including, if I remember correctly, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, yep. who were saying, yes, invalidate Georgia's votes. That's fine. Um, we don't agree with with the outcome. So it was such a curious little chapter. Of course, it was quickly dismissed by the Supreme Court. But still, I think we forgot about all of it in the aftermath of January 6th. And of course, the, the huge phone conversation that leaked with, with Brad Raffensperger. Yeah, real quick. The senator said at the time, this isn't hard and it isn't partisan. It's American when they backed uh, that that Texas lawsuit to invalidate Georgia's election results. And of course, the senators also both called for Brad Raffensperger to resign as a part of this entire situation. And I think looking back on all of these events, they just came so fast and furious. It was hard to see at the time whether or not these things were connected. But the indictment, Tamar, really paints these as a series of overlapping events that tied together create a relatively sprawling conspiracy um, driven by Donald Trump, driven by Mark Meadows, who also came to Georgia and just sort of popped up in Cobb County um, to visit the election officials down there as they were going through their recounts. Um, The fake electors, Rudy Giuliani's testimony in the state capitol, um, all of Trump's claims that he had won Georgia when he did not. And this indictment really makes the case to say he did not win and he knew he didn't win. How important is that piece? They keep saying he knew he didn't win. 
That is hugely important, not only for the success of a prosecution like this on the federal level, but also for Fulton DA Fonnie Willis, uh, as we expect her to indict the former president here in Atlanta. You have to be able to prove that there was criminal intent, not only that somebody broke the law, but that they knew they were doing something illegal as they were doing it. And I think, you know, it's one thing if Democrats were telling Donald Trump that he had lost the election, but people that Donald Trump himself were paying, people who worked for him on his campaign, his closest personal advisors, they were telling him that that he lost. These are people who he should be much more inclined to believe. Um, it's clear that, that Jack Smith thinks that by showing comments from people like that, that'll help show that Trump knew that what he was doing was illegal, but he did it anyway. Tomorrow, the federal indictment also spotlighted what happened at State Farm Arena, which we've talked about so much and covered so much uh, on both podcasts, on Politically Georgia and Breakdown, uh, the the vote counting process at the downtown Atlanta arena that that Trump and his allies painted falsely as vote rigging when uh, evidence, uh, overwhelming evidence, was to the contrary. Uh, there was there was a line in this indictment uh, that really stood out to us, uh, and it came from an unnamed political operative. Do you want to go into that? You're right, Greg. This is nestled at the bottom of page 13 for anybody who who wants to look this up later. But this is from a, a senior campaign advisor who was unnamed in the indictment, but who wrote in an email talking about how the campaign's research and legal teams couldn't back up any of the claims made by um, other people in Trump's corner. Uh, quote, you can see why we're over 32 on our, our legal cases. Quote, I'll obviously hustle to help on all fronts, but it's tough to own any of this when it's all just conspiracy shit beamed down from the mothership. Kids, cover your ears. <laughs> this is not a family <laughs> podcast at this moment. But tomorrow, <laughs> that echoes a lot of what we were hearing at the time. And of course, since then, but even at the time, I mean, I can't tell you how many texts and calls and conversations I had uh, with Republican operatives, with folks working for David Perdue and Kelly Leffler at the time, who we're acknowledging that these these Trump conspiracy theories were fantasies, but they had to play into them because they worried, at least in Georgia, they worried they would they would alienate the former president, the then president, and it could risk Republican efforts to keep those two U.S. Senate seats and preserve GOP control of the chamber. Yeah, I think a lot of folks were thinking of this in terms of it being like a political race, you know, last man standing. This was a cage fight and we had to win at all costs. And I think too often the legal guardrails were not so evident to people where politics ends and the law begins. Um, that, that line got crossed, I think, many times. Uh, speaking of State Farm, one thing that, that was interesting, Greg, um, that that I, I picked out of this indictment Rudy Giuliani, his name does not appear in this document, but based on everything we know from the public record, from uh, the January 6th committee, from all of these hearings, he's very clearly co-conspirator number one. And it talks about his um, comments that he made during these hearings in front of the Georgia legislature, where he talks about State Farm. And Jack Smith says it straight out, quote, he had the intention of misleading state senators, and the goal was to block um, legitimate electors from from casting their votes. Um, Donald Trump was the only person who was indicted today. All of this makes me wonder 
whether something will be coming for these six unnamed co-conspirators in this document, um, or whether there's a little bit of gamesmanship here to try and get some of them to flip, maybe try and get more information out of them, or is it only a matter of time before somebody like Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, who helped assemble the, um, the, the fake electors, whether indictments for them might be around the corner? Tamar, we know that there is a ton of overlapping material between what Fonnie Willis is considering and what's included here in this indictment. But in terms of the legalities, break down the specific federal charges and how those might kind of play out on their own or if they would overlap with something that Fonnie Willis is doing. They don't have to be exactly the same laws in order for Trump and his associates to have violated those laws. Is that right? Yeah, we're talking about a federal indictment here that that Jack Smith was able to secure, and we're talking about federal laws that were allegedly broken. Fonnie Willis is focused on state laws in Georgia, and while there are much many areas of low overlap between state and federal laws, there are also very key differences, um, which potentially gives DA Willis more room, um, especially when it comes to racketeering and some election-related charges that are broader in Georgia than they are on the federal level. Uh, Today's indictment has four counts. There are three separate conspiracies that are alleged here, and there's also a count of obstruction and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. Conspiracy is one of the state laws that DA Willis has mentioned that she was looking at back when she announced her probe back in February 2021. I guess we'll wait and see whether that is a law that she's going to try and utilize in her expected indictments later this month, or whether she goes for racketeering, which also involves conspiracy. Uh, But there are many overlapping interests. I'm kind of surprised at how much overlap there, there really is. Of course, the state farm hearings and the role of Rudy Giuliani, huge part of all of that. The fake electors, something we've been talking about for a long time. Of course, the phone conversation to Brad Raffensperger, which led to her opening the probe But there are also some areas where I think D.A. Willis is a little more interested in, like the awful pressure that was placed on Ruby Freeman, the the Fulton County poll worker who was named by Giuliani and Trump, as well as the accessing of sensitive uh, voter data and elections data from Coffee County. Uh, in South Georgia. Some of these things were mentioned in passing in the federal indictment, but I think could very well play a larger role in something like a racketeering charge in Georgia. We'll delve deeper into the Georgia charges after a quick break. But before we go, Tamar, uh, Donald Trump's response. He has continued to call this a witch hunt. He said, this is a third attempt to destroy our movement. And some of his Republican allies, including Congressman Mike Collins here in Georgia, are already calling for a new effort to defund, to, to take away funding, cut funding to the Justice Department as a response. So we're seeing a continuation of the blurred lines between his legal defense and his comeback bid of Donald Trump. Sure, this is in line with what we've seen from the former president. After all of these indictments that we've seen, this is the third that we've seen since April. I'm expecting to hear similar remarks if and when D.A. Willis indicts him in, in Fulton County. So, And it's not surprising to see many of his closest allies in Congress jump to his defense. Well, let's take a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor. 
But I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the AJC, your hosts, Greg Bluestein and Patricia Murphy. We're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and get three months of unlimited digital access for less than a dollar, just 99 cents. That subscribe that ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Patricia and I are joined again by senior AJC reporter Tamar Hallerman, who has been covering the ins and outs of this Donald Trump investigation here in Fulton County uh, for now years. I can I can legitimately say years now with Bill Rankin. And she's also, along with Rankin, the host of the Breakdown Podcast, the go-to podcast for all your news and information and analysis of that investigation, which debuts its latest season next week. Tomorrow, thanks again for joining us. Of course, and we're also finishing up our season nine this week, so stay tuned for that. Never a dull moment in Breakdown <laughs> Podcast world. Um, okay, tomorrow, let's let's now shift focus to Georgia. District Attorney Fonnie Willis said she's putting the finishing touches on her investigation of Trump after more than two years. Way back in February, she said the decision was imminent. Now it looks to be around the corner. Let's listen to what she said this week. The work is accomplished. We've been working for two and a half years. We're ready to go. Uh, So that means the decision is really imminent, doesn't it, Tamara? It really does. And we got some interesting developments this week when we started hearing about the first witnesses who have been subpoenaed to testify before one of two of these regular grand juries that were seated earlier this month. And of course, one of these grand juries is expected to be the one that will hear uh, these potential charges uh, against Donald Trump and others we're expecting. So um, it's a huge moment to, to see the gears starting to move and starting to move quite quickly. And also where the DA might be going based on some of these witnesses. Tamar, can you explain why there are witnesses coming back to this grand jury again? Because we saw that parade of witnesses before the special grand jury. And these are faces that in some cases we saw before, in some cases they seem to be new. What's going on here? So remember last year, there was a special grand jury that met for about eight months and they were investigative in nature. They were there to collect evidence on behalf of D.A. Willis to help hear testimony, subpoena any witnesses who, who were fighting the D.A. And so they met for eight months. They heard from about 75 different witnesses, and they issued a set of recommendations to the D.A. about who they believed should be invited. And the way that I think about the, the special grand jury is it was almost kind of a test run for the D.A. She was able to see who out of those 75 witnesses had 
interesting and important and relevant things to say, but also who was compelling, uh, who was able to tell a good story, who was able to connect to jurors, to everyday people. And so if anything, the folks who have been subpoenaed to come talk to one of these regular grand juries that are meeting now, these grand juries with indictment powers, it's almost like the greatest hits. Who are the people who the DA Act really needs to be able to convince people to hand up indictments on certain charges? And Damar, we reported that a few of those witnesses who, who testified a few months ago are back in front of now the, the, the regular grand jury. Uh, they include former state representative Bean Nguyen and former state senator uh, Jen Jordan, who both are Democrats who were part of those Giuliani hearings who pushed back on the uh, the pro-Trump conspiracies. The other witness who we've reported who has gone back is George Cheedy. He's an independent journalist who is uh, one of two, including me, who stumbled upon the GOP elector meeting that was at first a secretive meeting held without notice to the public or, of course, to the media. Here's what George had to say about it. And I saw one. I walked into a room and I'm like... That's suspicious. So I look around, like, I wonder if the electors are going on here. I pulled out my camera, my cell phone, and I walked into the room with the camera going. And I said, hey, what's going on? And uh, there was sort of a a moment. And then uh, a woman said, we're having a meeting. And somebody else shouted, he's got a camera. Uh, And somebody starts to usher me out of the room. And I asked, what kind of meeting? And she says, it's an education meeting. And then they close the door and then they post a guy in front so that nobody else can walk in like that. And I'm like, oh, that was it. That was it. Because I I recognized some of the people in there, uh, including um, uh, David Schaefer, who is the uh, Georgia Republican Party chairman. And that was from actually our interview with George Cheedy for the Breakdown podcast last year, where after he spoke to the special grand jury, we talked to him about his experience for that. And Cheedy getting subpoenaed is the biggest sign that we've gotten so far uh, that the DA plans to issue indictments stemming from the, the fake electors episode. And tomorrow, at least eight of those fake electors have cooperated with prosecutors, uh, but we don't know about others. We also know in in total, nearly 20 target letters were issued. So this Fulton County investigation is scrutinizing almost two dozen different people and, and, and who could face criminal charges. Exactly. And and 16 of those target letters were sent to fake electors. Um, so more than half of them have struck immunity deals. One of them, Burt Jones, uh, was able to get Fonnie Willis disqualified from investigating him due to a uh, conflict of interest. But especially for David Schaefer, who, whom George Cheedy mentioned, he does not have an immunity deal in place last I checked. And his lawyers have really stepped up their efforts to try and uh, block any sort of or prevent any sort of indictment from being pursued against their client. Um, so he's one that we're going to be watching very closely. And of course, these three witnesses that we mentioned are not going to be the only ones who who have been called. We're chasing down all sorts of uh, tips that we've heard about other folks who might have gotten uh, subpoenaed, and hopefully we'll have more news on that front in the days ahead. Just to go back to that George Cheney audio really quickly, I mean, talk about an aha moment when You hear him describe the woman saying, this is an education meeting, you need to leave. That's that's the kind of sort of insight and observation that takes something from what could have been a a simple misunderstanding or, but we were doing this just in case. There was nothing nefarious about this to really 
you can see how important this testimony is because it can make something that um, could appear on one level to seem relatively innocuous to really some kind of a cover-up, potentially a coordinated cover-up. And that's when you do get into that concept of criminal conduct. And so um, all of these witnesses are going to be so crucial to adding that kind of context. And I know that when Willis um, has been talking for years that she would not bring an indictment unless she really believed she could get a conviction. And so when you are seeing these witnesses come forward um, tomorrow, this all kind of feels like it's going toward an indictment right now. What, do you have a gut feeling right now about what's going to happen? I mean, every signal that we've gotten so far from D.A. Willis over these last couple of months has been is that she's going to issue indictments or pursue indictments and that Donald Trump is very much going to be on that list. You do not send letters to local law enforcement telling them to get ready, that people could be really angry about your decisions if you're not about to try and indict a former president. But I think it's going to go much broader than that. If we're getting people coming in to talk about the fake electors or about State Farm, uh, this points that that she's going to be indicting way more than just one person. And perhaps we'll see something like racketeering, which D.A. Willis knows very well, she's very experienced with, and it's something she talks about all the time, often unprompted, about her, her comfort with racketeering laws. So that's something we're going to be watching for very closely. And she's been careful to say that, hey, racketeering charges don't have to just happen. They shouldn't just be linked with organized crime, right? Uh, it's something she obviously used to great avail in the case against school cheating about a decade ago. Uh, Tamar, meanwhile, Fonnie Willis told our friends over at WABE that she's not coordinating at all with Jack Smith and even kind of joked that uh, the federal, the special counsel wouldn't even know how to pronounce her name. Here's what she said. I don't know what Jack Smith is doing, and Jack Smith doesn't know what I'm doing. In all honesty, if Jack Smith was standing next to me, I'm not sure I would know who he was. My guess is he probably can't pronounce my name correctly. <laughs> Join the Fannie Willis crowd who couldn't pronounce her name. Now, I think everyone will soon be able to pronounce Fannie Willis's name right. Uh, but tomorrow, what, what, what's your take on that? Because to me, it wasn't a huge surprise. Uh, but we've always kind of seen this as a Venn diagram with these two parallel investigations. It's hard to bring any any charges against Trump federally without invoking what he did in Georgia because we were sort of the center of his campaign to overturn his defeat. Absolutely. And first, let's thank our friend Sam Greenglass at WABE, who so generously gave us uh, his tape from that interview this weekend. But you're right, it, it's so hard to separate Georgia from what happened nationally. And as I mentioned, the case in Fulton County can still go forward even though Jack Smith has come out first with an indictment. We're talking about two different sets of laws. You've got the federal laws and you have the state laws which are different. Maybe DA Willis will be able to introduce different types of evidence because of how much broader uh, Georgia law is, especially if she were to use something like racketeering and there's nothing out there that says she has to step aside uh, for the Justice Department. I think where it gets dicey is the issue of timing. Trump already has court dates in New York for the Stormy Daniels hush money case. He already has court dates in Miami for the classified documents case. Now we have another set of uh, court dates that are going to be coming up from this for this January 6th case. And oh, there's still the Eugene Carroll a defamation case in New York. There still are Trump Organization civil cases in New York. So his calendar is getting 
awfully cluttered. And we haven't even gotten to the political season that's going to be coming up in 2024 with primaries, with caucuses, with debates, with the RNC. So this is going to create a whole big mess in terms of scheduling. And there's no giant traffic cop who's saying, okay, well, New York, since you went first, you get to go first, or wait, you should step aside for DOJ because they're the feds. They all kind of have to figure it out on their own. Um, And so there could be some benefit. There's nothing precluding DA Willis and Jack Smith from talking to each other and saying, hey, we have similar interests in our investigation. Maybe, hey, you handle the fake electors, I'll handle the state farm hearings. That could help her, especially given that there's limited resources in Fulton County. It's only a tiny fraction of what the budget that DOJ has from from Congress. But so far, it seems like they really haven't done it. And both are keen on kind of going their own way and doing it on their own. Well, I think there's also always the risk that if one of the other cases falls apart and you have handed off a piece of what you were going to do, um, does that leave you with less of a case that you could have taken if you decided to do it on your own anyway? Um, uh, And yes, oh, by the way, there is a presidential election happening right now. By the way, there's also a DA's election that will be coming up as well. So there is a very high likelihood that Donald Trump and Fannie Willis will both be on the November ballot in 2024 for Fulton County voters. There are so many pieces of this that are so hard to believe. Um, You kind of can't wrap your head around it. But Tamar, what in terms of just the nuts and bolts, we heard from Fannie Willis earlier this week about the security concerns that she has physically for her her team, also for the Fulton County Commissioners and their staff. She's forwarded an email that she had gotten over the weekend that had all kinds of racial slurs in it. And she forwarded it to commissioners and their staffs. It was a group email. And she said, I'm sending this to you to let you know just how serious the situation is. I want you to take precautions, be alert, and do what you need to do to protect yourself and your staff. Um, We saw those orange barricades go up on Forsyth Street around um, the Fulton County Courthouse. What are the next steps that people here in Georgia might see in the next several weeks as all of this starts to play out? Well, there's been preparations going on for months now. The Fulton Sheriff's Office, the APD, sent officers to go observe the the proceedings in Miami when Trump was arraigned and also in New York when he was arraigned up there to kind of get a sense for what worked and what didn't work. So there's a lot of meetings since then that have kind of talked about some of the lessons learned. Um, Typically before big events, this could be big legal events, but also things, sporting events, things like the Super Bowl or the Olympics. It's very common for people from different law enforcement agencies to start to gather, uh, get to know one another, game out potential security scenarios that might happen. What happens if there's a suspicious package? What happens if somebody takes out the electrical grid? What if somebody bombs Hartsfield-Jackson? And they kind of walk through this parade of terribles. How would we react so that they can be ready for anything if that were to happen the day of an indictment or an arraignment? And so I think you are going to start to see some physical infrastructure you know, kind of increase in the in the weeks ahead, more barriers, a little more police presence. But really, the days you're going to feel it are indictment days and surrender days uh, whenever people are going to come in and get arrested and, and fingerprinted and processed. And speaking of a packed calendar and uh, things to just to put on the agenda beyond watching 
for a potential Donald Trump indictment, a potential indictment of some of his allies and the surrender and all that. We also have a huge political event coming up in Georgia. August 17th starts the gathering, Eric Erickson's conference, which uh, at first listed two presidential white hopefuls, now has six. So some of the biggest names who are not named Donald Trump are all going to be here in Atlanta right around the time where we could have some news from Fannie Willis's office about potential indictments. Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Christie, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, all planning to be here in Georgia in mid-August. So keep that on the calendar. Coming up on Friday's episode, we're going to answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Shaney B. and his legion of interns are standing by waiting to hear from you. Ready and raring, so light up those phones. Well, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you, Tamar, for being our guest yet again. I have a feeling this will not be the last time we call on you at the last minute to join our program. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.